This morning, I want to talk to you about when you have to go out of your way. And there have been times when people have gone out of their way to bless me, to bless the church. I'm sure there have been times when you've gone out of your way to bless others. There have been times when I have had to go out of my way in order to do what the Lord has called us to do. There was a lady in our church that um, she made me, and she knows who I'm talking about. She was here in the first service, but she made me an incredible lasagna. And I knew when she made this lasagna and bought it by the house, she said, I just wanted to do this for your family. I knew this was quite a sacrifice for her, not of, of finance, but she's a very busy lady and a lot going on in her life, but she bought a homemade salad and all the stuff that goes along with lasagna. We ate it that night. I told my family, I said, we need to recognize the kind of commitment that this dinner represents, and let's give the Lord thanks for it. There are times when God calls you to go out of your way in ministry, and that's kind of what gave birth to this message in this series on worship, because it's important for us to understand worship is not just our singing at church. It's not just our tithing. It's not just our giving. This goes back all the way 24 years ago when we set the mission statement of this congregation. And worship is about how we live our lives. This is a part of it, our gathering together to assemble, to worship. It was so much fun. There was so much joy here. But it's a way of you live your life in your marriage. It's how you live your life raising your children. It's how you live your life when you're working. And it's not so much <clears throat> like in a marriage, it's not so much that you do chapter one, paragraph A, point two, but that you live your life consumed with your husband, your wife, your children, but you live your life consumed with Christ. God knows. God knows what the pressure is when a man or a woman tries to live independent of him. When you try to live independent of God, you're saying, I'm capable of bearing on my shoulders the problems of the world. You're thinking to yourself, if I'm going to live independent of God, I have the wisdom apart from God to know how to handle all of the affairs that are going to come up in this life. In my life, I've discovered that I don't have enough wisdom, I don't have enough strength to bear all of the problems of a marriage, all the problems of a, raising a family, all the problems of, of pastoring a church, all the problems of aging parents, all the problems of health issues, life issues, death issues, being as engaged in the communities we are and knowing what happens in our community, the, the burdens of our community, much less a leader trying to live life apart from the wisdom of God leading a state or leading a nation when someone lives their life independently of God, they're saying, God, I don't need you. I can do this by myself. When the boys were little, I had taken them fishing. I had bought them each a rod and a reel, and I took them out in a canoe fishing. They loved to canoe, and Christopher was always one that he wanted you to teach him. He wanted you to show him. Andrew was always one, I can do it myself, Dad. I can do it myself. Did any of you raise a child like that? I can do it myself, and and so we're out in the canoe, and Chris is showing me, saying, Dad, show me how to do it, and you do it first, and help me throw it. And Andrew was, I can do it myself. And so Andrew reared back, and he cast the rod, and the whole rod and reel went out of his hand and went flying out in the middle of the pond and just went to the bottom. And he turns around and looks at me and says, go get it. 
And I said, I can't. I can't leave you and your brother in a canoe alone. It turns over too easy. And he started crying, Daddy, go get it. And I says, I'm not going to go get it. If you'd have let me show you the way Chris let me show him, you'd still have your rod and your reel. He did not like that. And sometimes that's how we live our lives because if we want to do it on our own, God will let us do it on our own. The children of Israel wanted a king. God says, if you have a king, he's going to tax you. He's going to encrypt your sons into military service. He's going to put burdens on your shoulders. They go, no, no, no. We want to be like other nations. We want a king. And then when they had a king, they began to cry out to the Lord because of the oppressiveness. There is a way, the Bible says, that seems right to a man, but the end therein is death. So it's not that God doesn't love you or care for you. It's just that God gives us that opportunity we can either freely respond to Him and say, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom in my life. Jesus came to deliver us from this vain type of life. Jesus came to deliver us from this this foolish and this senseless, I can do it by myself. Now, let me be honest, lest I appear to be something I'm not. I'm a lot like Andrew. I want to do it myself. I like to try and solve it myself. I I like to take charge, but control, as I said in the service yesterday, control is an illusion. If there's anything that the Holy Spirit has taught me through the years, your being in control is an illusion I need Jesus every day of my life. And if you think that's a crutch, I have seen what life can be with Christ, and I've seen what life can be without Christ, both among great and small. I've seen the difference that when a man or woman leans into the wisdom of God and the power of God, the difference that that can make. Jesus said in John 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. What is eternal life? It is to know God, to know His Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to us. Life can be defined as truly knowing Jesus Christ, not bios life, that the fact that you are breathing in your lungs and your heart are working today, but true and real life is in Jesus It's the reason that in our mission statement, we try to define what the purpose of life is and the comprehending and knowing of God's life is. And if you'll read it with me, it just simply says, celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Let's say that together. Celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. The word God is very important there. The celebrating, the persuading, passionately following, all that comes back to God because God is the purpose of our life. We sing it sometimes here at Woodland, Jesus at the center of it all. It's because if you want to know the purpose of my life, if you were to draw a little box or a little square and, and replace the word purpose and say, what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of, of this congregation? It's to know God. It's to enjoy Him forever. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah the prophet would say, if you want to look this up later in, verse nine, in chapter 9 and verse 23, Jeremiah would say, if you want to boast in something, boast only in this, that you know God. That's what you boast about. Now, 
I love, if you know me, I love to boast about the Georgia Bulldogs. They clinched the SEC East. I promise you I'm not going to talk about that today, but I just thought you'd like to know that this morning. I just thought you'd like to know they're going to be playing Atlanta for the SEC championship, and I'm not going to talk about it. I just thought you would be interested in that because I like to boast about the Bulldogs. Even when they're doing poor, I still like to talk about the Bulldogs because I love the Bulldogs. I'm not a Sunshine fan. I'm a fan all the time of the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, if you know me, you know that. I was introduced at City Hall in Detroit where they said, if you know him, you know he loves Jesus, he loves his family, and he loves the Bulldogs. I would have never dreamed that was going to happen in the city of Detroit. I took real advantage of that moment as well when I spoke there, so never doubt. Would you boast about Jesus when you talk about God and his amazing grace and his love when you live for him you don't even really have to talk about it now I'm not much of a cap guy because I get a hat head pretty bad if I wear a cap and if I pull it off it's not a pretty sight but you know it, I, I love to wear shirts that have that little G emblem on it somebody came up to me and says are you a Green Bay Packer fan I go only in Michigan would somebody ask me that question there's something about our lives that when we know Jesus, it just reflects the love and the passion. So Jeremiah says that you understand the Lord, but he says the Lord, now listen, he says the Lord who demonstrates to you unfailing love, unfailing kindness, and unfailing righteousness, and that God delights in love and kindness and righteousness. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, God delights in loving you. Now, look at your neighbor and say, God delights in being kind to you. And righteousness is God's good works in us. God likes doing good things in you. And I happen to like God loving me, being kind to me, and doing good things to me. Don't you? I mean, this is what Jeremiah the prophet is saying. So to comprehend God and to know God doesn't mean that you and I become great theologians. It just simply means that we know that God loves us. It's the most biblical song that I know Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I sang it this morning. I sing it every Sunday morning on my way to church. It reminds me of God's amazing love. To comprehend God is to know that he loves you. He's good to you. He's kind to you. So I want you to stand with me this morning Let's read this passage of Scripture that I believe that even those that have gone to be with the Lord from our congregation are singing to the Lord this morning. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll, break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Look at that sentence. For you were slaughtered, and your blood is ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Would you join me in prayer this morning? I love you, Jesus, with everything that's within me. I love this church, Lord, with everything that's within me. These are your people, Lord. Your church gathered around the world, people washed in the blood of Jesus, people whose sins have been forgiven and washed away by the blood of Jesus. 
I thank you that you didn't have to do it, but you went out of the way for us. And so I ask you to speak to us from these words in such a way that will impact how we live our lives, not just for this week, but for the rest of our lives until you come. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I was asked to be a part of a meeting at South Shore Hospital before Beaumont bought it. This was some years ago. And in the meeting, the representative from the hospital said to us, there was just a few of us gathered there that were pastors, and says, when you come to visit the hospital and pray with your patients, we ask you to never talk about the blood of Jesus. We ask you to never talk about things like that. And so I let them finish, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, but for my faith, and I believe for the faith of others in here, there may be a serious misunderstanding between you and between us, because we believe that not only are we saved by faith, we believe that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. It's not that we're gory, it's not that we, you know, talk about blood all the time, But there may be times that we need to talk about the blood. There may be times I want to come in and serve communion to one of the congregates from Woodland. And when I share with them the bread and the cup, I'm certainly going to say to them, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ for you. And, of course, the presenter was very kind, and he goes, you know, I I don't really understand. I just didn't think. He said, we're just trying to provide a healthy atmosphere. I says, If you will let us do what we do best and you do what you do is best, I think we can all work together for the health and the healing of our patients. And that was probably an eye-opening experience for him because a lot of times people think to talk about the blood of Christ, this is so barbaric, this is so gory. But we must realize that what's on the side of this building, and as we took communion this morning when I ate the bread, and when I drank the cup, I, I, I literally looked up the cross and gave God thanks for his giving his son Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to watch the passion of the Christ more often to remind ourselves of the great sacrifice, that visual drama that just brings it home, what Christ did in order that we might be saved, and how awful sin must be, because I am convinced that we really don't understand how awful sin is because we often talk about the great sin of others, of violence or violent crimes or war crimes, but not realize how great our own sin was that caused Christ his love. I was talking with a theologian friend of mine one time, and he looked at me and he says, you know, the worst thing, and he has a very deep theological voice, sounds like God. I wish I could talk like him. He just one of the most theologically unprofound things, Dennis, you could say to your congregation is that if you were the only one, Jesus would have come and died for you. That's just not theologically sound. So I looked at him for a moment, and I said, and I said, listen, I really respect you. You're brilliant. You're much smarter than I am, but what are you going to do with a woman of Samaria? Jesus went out of his way for her, and of course, he's a humble man. He goes, Well, honestly, I haven't thought about that. (laughs) As I talk to you about going out of your way this morning, I want you to realize how Christ went out of the way for you, how he went out of the way for me. In John 4, 4, if you understand Greek or you can read Aramaic, you, you get this is a very forceful statement. 
It wasn't that Jesus just chose. He had to go through Samaria. And Samaritans and Jews didn't talk to one another. They were related by blood, but they hated each other. They wanted nothing to do with one another. And I think the, the, TV, the, the, the movie series, The Chosen, really illustrates as well, if you've watched season one, of how the Samaritans were throwing rocks at Jesus and John and James, and Jesus kept them from responding in kind. They wanted to call down thunder upon them, but Jesus has kept them from responding that way. But he had to go out of his way because there was a woman that nobody else would have gone out of their way for that he wanted to talk to. And true worship is about how I live my life and how I follow Christ. And what Jesus is going to teach this Samaritan woman is what I think he wants to remind us of this morning. To celebrate God's love means that worship is my deepest need. When I say celebrating God's love in our mission statement, I'm actually leaning into the Bible because I'm confessing the deepest need of my life is to know God, to enjoy God, to follow God. This Samaritan woman who came to the well during the heat of the day, she couldn't come in the cool part of the day with the other women because of some poor decisions that she had made. They weren't kind to her. They didn't want her close by. They didn't trust her because of the decisions that she had made. And so she would come to the well at the heat of the day, the worst part of the day, and I've ministered in those parts of the world where women carry these huge water jugs on their heads, and they walk by, and she would fill that water jug up to take to the home of her living lover. Jesus looks at her, and he asks her for a drink of this water because he knows that her life is empty. She's in empty relationships. She's in relationships that have not been kind to her, have not been good to her, relationships that have not loved her for a lifetime. So when we talk about boasting about knowing the Lord, she hadn't known what Jesus wants her to know. And so Jesus tells her, asks her in order to engage her, he asks her to do something kind for him. He asks her, would you give me a cup of water? And you know, the scriptures say that if we give a cup of cool water in the name of the Lord, we will be rewarded for that. Every small thing we do, we'll be rewarded by Christ for that. And instead, she says to him, she says, how would you, a Jewish man, Jewish men don't speak to women, how would you, a Jewish man, even ask me a Samaritan and a woman on top of that for a cup of water? And then Jesus responds with these words that almost seem cryptic, but she got it. He said, anyone, this is in John 4, 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. What is Jesus saying to her? He says, water is not your deepest, it's not your deepest need. It's a need. Food is a need. Shelter is a need. Clothing is a need. Safety is a need. Security is a need. But water is not your deepest need. The water that I will give to you, a personal relationship with God, that's the deepest need of your life. And she doesn't quite get it. All she can think of is, I don't have to come back to this well. I need water to live. You need water to live. I need water to live. I need water right now, to be honest with you. So he says to her, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. What is she saying? I won't have to endure. You don't have to get me water. I'm teasing. 
You know, she said, I won't have to endure the abuse of the crowd. I won't have to endure these other women who don't like me. What Jesus is trying to get her to see is her need for God. When I was studying for the ministry, G. Campbell Morgan was the favorite pastor and preacher, it seemed, that my college professors loved to quote. And, Corey, you went to the same school I did. I don't know if they still quoted Campbell Morgan then. But he was a preacher in the early 1900s, late 1800s. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones followed him at Westminster in London and just a great expositor of the word of the Lord. Morgan said this, I worship in the presence of God and I recognize that in him I find everything that my life demands and I find that in myself I am incomplete everywhere. A sense of my need and God's resource produces the act in the attitude of worship. Now let's break down that statement just a little bit. Back it up just a moment. He said, I find everything that my life demands and I find that I'm incomplete everywhere. You see, until you come to that place of recognizing your need, I'll take it, thank you. Until you come to that place of recognizing your need for water, thank you, or excuse me, for God, you think you're complete. And then you run into an issue or a problem in life and there's no solution. So you go to a doctor, and the doctor comes to you, as I've witnessed so many times, and says, there's nothing that we can do. Or you go to a loan officer, and they say, listen, because of the economy or because of your finances right now, there's nothing we can do. Or you go to the school, and there's no more scholarships left. Or you've given something away in your life hoping that in exchange for what you've given away that you're going to receive something, but you promise that this individual has, you find this individual has been a charlatan. What Campbell Morgan is saying is once you recognize that in your life you are incomplete everywhere, then you begin to sense your real need in life. And this woman who, through multiple relationships, she must have been attractive. There must have been something about her. Somehow or another, she, she kept hoping that she would find what she was looking for, as, as Bono used to sing. I still haven't found it, but maybe I'll find it. But it wasn't until she had this encounter with Jesus that she recognized that what she's looking for is right in front of her. You see, when you're a follower of Jesus, no matter what you're going through, whether it's surgery or whether it's a financial challenge or whether it's a relational challenge, you find that praise is kind of praise for God still just kind of spontaneously flows from your joy that you have with the Lord, not happiness. I mean, something's got to be happening good around me for me to be happy. When I walked into the foyer this morning and I saw a University of Georgia cake out there, that really made me happy. Now, if the only cake that had been out there would have been Michigan, I'd have been okay. You know, I can eat Michigan cake. <laughs> if the only cake out there had been state, I can be okay. I can eat some Spartan cake. But when I saw George out there, I was like, yes. You see, happiness is hap things happening around you. But joy is a quality and an essence of life that when life is falling apart all around you, 
And you know that your control is an illusion, but God is still in control. Let him that boasts knows this, that God is good, that God is loving, God is kind all the time. It's the reason the scripture says in Psalms chapter 40 and verse 16, let those who follow you be happy and glad. They love you for saving them. May they always say, praise the Lord. Would you read that with me? And I mean, read it with conviction. Let those who follow you be happy and glad. They love you for saving them. May they always say, praise the Lord. They love you for saving them. I have a friend on Facebook came to see me some time ago, and I asked them, I said, tell me your story. And they said, oh, I don't want to go through that again. I said, excuse me? I don't, that's just, kind of, that's kind of old. Let's talk about somebody now. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. The moment grace gets old to you, the moment the story that God has forgiven you of your sins and saved you, the moment that gets old of you and you don't want to talk about that anymore, there's something wrong. There's something deficit in your life. And they go, you think so? I go, I know so. It's the first step towards a cold heart. It's the first step towards a heart that wanders away from God. I said, I want to pray for you. I want to lay my hands on your head, and I want to ask God to touch you and revive you. David would pray at times, and they didn't know this. He would say, Lord, revive us. Revive me. And boy, the change that has taken place in their life, they can't stop talking about what God has done for them now. And their life has totally turned around. You see, people who are full of joy, they never forget the joy of their salvation. And secondly, to passionately follow Christ in our mission statement means that worship is not only my deepest need, but worship is my greatest need because following Christ is how I worship Him. Yes, singing, lifting my hands, you know, gathering with you. There's an electric fireplace in my office. I, my family gave it to me for Father's Day a few years ago. I love it. It looks nice, you know, and it has a little heater in it. And it blows out heat. It looks nice, but that's a big study, and it won't heat that office up by itself. But it looks nice. There's all the difference in the world in standing in front of that electric fly, fireplace and standing in front of my fireplace at home. Because when there's a fire going in there, it's warm. And when people come to our house, everybody gathers around the fireplace. I've even noticed when people come to our house, they will sit on the floor, even though there are chairs, so they can be close to the fire. And that's kind of like what church is like. Because when you gather in church, we encourage one another. We edify one another. We we, we worship God together, and there's something, there's a dynamic between us that takes place. The fire of the Holy Spirit is here. And I mean, those of you that are online, I am so glad you're here. But if you live out of town, we, we pray that you'll find a local biblical church to worship with. And if you live here, we pray that you'll come and worship with us here at Woodland, 24101 Van Horn, Brownstown, Michigan. You're welcome. Come, be a part. How's that for a commercial? <laughs> Because here, there's a fire, and to worship God is my greatest need. So, community is a part of that. God said, excuse me, Jesus says to her in John 4, verse 16, he says, go get your husband. Now, you know this story, I'm sure, but it's the last sentence of this story that really stands out to me. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. I mean, he knew this all along. 
God may ask you a question. He knows the answer to it. But he's trying to get you to face what your greatest need is. He's trying to get you to face what your greatest opportunity is. He may even ask that question to get you to face what your greatest challenge is. The job of a good leader is not just to cast vision. The job of a good leader is to define reality as well. And so he says to her, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. This is an emotionally broken and wrecked woman. There are men and women in our congregation like that. This is what's happened to their lives. But it's this last sentence that Jesus says to her that gets her. You certainly spoke the truth. The moment you could admit the reality of your life without Christ is the beginning of when you begin to tell yourself the truth. When you tell yourself, I don't need God. When you tell yourself, I don't need the church. I don't need other people in my life. You're lying to yourself. Now, unless God has given you the gift of singleness and celibacy, you need people, you need community in your life. And even if you've been given the gift of singleness, you need someone in your life. For true worship is centered in Jesus and in His promise to be with us. You see, that's what really is unusual about Christianity. We don't believe that God is way out there. We know that heaven is His throne but we believe that Christ is with us right now. He lives in our hearts. He lives in our lives. One of my very favorite stories, because children sometimes just illustrate it better than anything, was one that Dick Van Dyke used to tell. A friend of his that was a doctor, his little girl gave her heart to Jesus at church, and she came home, and she got her daddy's stethoscope, and she put it in her ears and listened to her heart, and she went running to her mother and dad, says, it's true, it's true, and they says, what? She says, listen, they said, Jesus lives inside me. I can hear him knocking around in there. Jesus lives in you. He lives in me. He lives within us as a church. Secondly, when Jesus lives in you, he fills you with his love. When Jesus is part of the church, he fills us with his love. Have you ever noticed that some people, when they walk in a room, they just light it up? Have you noticed when some people walk in the room, they just bring joy, they bring encouragement, they bring hope? You know, you want a coach that he brings hope, he brings encouragement, he brings a challenge, and he gives hope. But Jesus fills us with his love. He fills us with his kindness, it's one of the ways that you know that a person really has encountered Jesus. A lot of people experience religion, but they've never encountered Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit uses God's Word, the Bible, to shape our character. And as our character is shaped, we can live in new community with one another. I love Becky passionately. But when we got married in 1976, we had to learn to live together. We had to learn what it took to build a home and build a life together, to be together. And then when we went into ministry, we had to learn how to do life with the church and, and young people, a, a whole different. You see, when God's Word shapes your character, He's shaping you so that you can live in community with one another. <laughs> and that new community for us is called Woodland Church. And we live in this community. We do this life together. 
And a church can't be a church unless it's shaped by the Word of God and filled with the love of God as we walk together with one another. I love this passage from Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord your God is a living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. And He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Look at that phrase by phrase. Let's look at it again. God is living among you. Isn't that what Emmanuel means? That God has come to dwell among us, to live among us. Christ is here. Don't let that make you too happy this morning, by the way. Christ is here. Don't let that make you too happy that Christ is in your heart and in your home. Christ is here. Secondly, he's not only a mighty Savior, he delights in you with gladness. That's what I love about children. When they get happy about something, you know they're happy about it. One little boy came to us, and I've learned to kind of moderate my remarks to children. He came to us, came to me at the back door of the church during the greeting time one day, and he says, Pastor, will you come to my house and have dinner with me and play Game Boys? I go, yes, I'd love to do that. So he went to his mom and says, Mom, you have to cook dinner for the pastor this week. He's going to play Game Boy with me. I love it, but the mom said, I don't have a free night this week. I go, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> you know, it just, they just take it. It's going to happen. And God comes, and when you, he's glad. He doesn't mind showing he's happy. Becky and I went to the Sistine Chapel in Rome, and it was beautiful. The artwork is incredible. But I'm looking up, and some of the pictures of God are so dour and so angry. And this, I, I looked at him and I says, that's not how I see Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus shows us what he's really like. And I mean, I got spectacular pictures from there. But I want you to know that God takes pleasure in you. Look at this. With his love, he'll calm your fears. And he'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. Did you ever hold your babies? Or did you ever hold your children and sing to them? Have you ever found yourself at a time in life where you held your wife and you just started singing to her and your kids say, stop it, Dad, stop it. You see, when you delight in someone, you not only love them, but you, it just brings a song. That's how God feels about you. And then finally this morning, persuading people <laughs> means that our worship is contagious. Our worship is contagious. Dr. Gilreath, fine doctor in our church, and he has reason to, but this morning as he and his wife were on the platform with us, and to protect his patients, he wears a mask, and he's on the platform, and, and I'm thinking he's protecting his patients from any contagious colds or things that we might have during this COVID season and flu season. Oh, man. I was reflecting yesterday. Last Christmas, last Christmas, I preached 12 funerals. Ten right during the Christmas holidays, two in the early part of December because of COVID. 
We're worried about the contagion of diseases. My prayer is that God will do something with our love for Christ that will become contagious to others and they want to know Jesus like we know Jesus. Jesus went on to say to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 19, I'm gonna read two passages together here, so just follow along with me on the screen. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That means they'll be passionate. They're going to worship him according to the truth of God's word. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way sincerely. For God is a spirit, so those who must worship him, must, uh, who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, this is what he's telling the Samaritan woman. She got it. I hope you're getting it. She got it. And then the woman, according to verse 28, she left her water jar beside the well, which you just didn't do, and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I could did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. What happened? Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus gave her instant credibility. Something so dramatically changed her life. It wasn't religion. Religion doesn't do that for you. It wasn't a change in her external circumstances, but something had happened in her heart. She got close to the source of the fire. She got close to the source of life. She believed the words of Jesus as she ran back, and the people who had abused her, the people who didn't want to be around her, she went back, and she became the first New Testament witness Outside of John the Baptist, a woman, a Samaritan woman at that, and an entire village of Samaritans comes streaming out to hear Jesus Christ. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through you when you give your heart to Christ. Don't ever underestimate what God can do through your children, what God can do through your teenagers. Don't underestimate what God can do through you when you yield your life to Jesus. Here's some lessons that I learned from Jesus in this, and I'll be very, very brief with them. Number one, you got to go out of your way to identify with her story. Jesus identified with the Samaritan woman. He had come out of his way. Philippians chapter 2, he left the throne of glory. He emptied himself. He came to die upon that cross to identify with you and me. He identified with that Samaritan woman. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, one out of five non-Christians in North America do not know a single, single Christian. It's even worse for people from different uh, societies. 65% of Buddhists don't know a single Christian. This is in North America. This is not the world. The numbers are much worse in the world. 65% of Buddhists don't know a single Christian. 75% of Chinese people don't know a single Christian. 78% of Hindus don't know a Christian. 43% of Muslims in America do not personally know a Christian. Recently, somebody asked me, he says, Pastor, why do you try to spend so much time building relationships with people from other faiths? Do you really expect them to come to Christ? Yes. Yes. Someone that I've been spending time with for years now said to me recently, he says, you know, you're always asking me questions about my faith. You're always listening to me. Can you tell me how you became a follower of Jesus, how you became a Christian? 
inside, remember I saw that little boy with the Game Boy and you got to cook dinner for pastor this week? My little boy is jumping up and down inside because all these years, our second meeting together, he says, we can meet, we can talk as long as you don't try to evangelize me or convert me. And now all of a sudden he's saying, can you tell me why you became a Yes. Because I know that that witness plants a seed in his heart. And I expect that seed to grow. And I expect him to become a follower of Jesus. And I look forward. I just dream about it. I'm going to baptize him in water one day as he makes his public profession of faith in Christ. You say, Pastor, you really? Yes, because he's already said. Sometimes I think I would just like to come to your church and visit. Can somebody say, come on, victory? I mean, that lights my fire. When's the last time you invited someone to have coffee with you? When's the last time you showed them hospitality? When's the last time you invited somebody to come to church with you? When's the last time you tried to identify with their story the way Jesus identified with this woman? It means you have to go out of your way, though, to share your story. It's real easy for me to do life with Christians. It is real easy. I could let Christians alone take every waking moment of my life. This morning, there were people inviting me to lunch or dinner this week, next week. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't go this week or next week. We can go in the future time to come. Tomorrow, I'm speaking to a group of missionary students that how to work with pastors as you as you get ready to go to the mission field and as you raise your support. I'm looking forward to being in Grand Rapids tomorrow and talking to them. I'm looking forward to one of my meals this week with someone that is not a follower of Jesus. Go out of your way. Don't be afraid to. And then finally, go out of your way to reveal the glory of God. I read something just recently that just, just, I went, wow. How many of you have heard of Carnival Cruise Lines? Have you heard of it? If you raise your, wave your hand if you've heard of Carnival Cruise Lines, yeah. Carnival Cruise Lines didn't own, I think it was TikTok in the story, they didn't own the handle at Carnival Cruise. And this was in the news that I was reading this story. But they found out there was a kid, 17 years old, since he had been small, his parents had been taking him on cruises, and he had taken videos and pictures with his iPhone, and he had started a TikTok video called At Carnival Cruise. And they wanted to buy that handle from him. So they found out where the kid lived. He lived in central Virginia. And they bombarded his town with big signs with Shaq as the chief fun officer. Have you seen Darren? Have you seen Darren? Public transportation had big billboards on the side of it. Have you seen Darren? They hired people, you know, these mobile signs that they pulled up. They hired people. Have you seen Darren? And they finally found Darren in this town. They bought the handle from him for a lot of money, and they sent his family on a worldwide cruise of the date of their choosing 
because they wanted so badly that name at Carnival Cruise, they expended all this effort to find, Car to find Darren. And if you've watched The Chosen and if you've read John 4 carefully, this is real life. This is eternal life that they might know you, God. And he had. It's forceful. He had to go to the land of his enemies. Have you seen this woman? Five broken marriages, living with a man that's not her husband now. I've got to find her. And so to my theologian friend, yes, if you, if you, if you were the only one, Jesus will have still come because that's how much you matter to God. How can I not celebrate his love by persuading others to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ? Amen? Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you? I love you, Father. And I'm so thankful that you are such a wonderful, awesome, holy God. But you are full of loving kindness. You went out of your way to send Christ to die for our sins. Lord, as people who have embraced you as our Lord, our Master, our Savior, may we be willing to follow you in those out-of-the-way places to show hospitality, to show kindness, to build a relationship, to plant a seed. God, don't let us just depend upon missionaries. Don't let us just depend upon professionals. We are the body of Christ. Your hands, your feet, your lips. So use us this week. And may we worship you in spirit and truth. And while every head is bowed, those of you watching online as well, if you've never given your heart to Jesus or you've slipped away from your commitment to Jesus, you're like the friend of mine on Facebook that it's just kind of become old to you. I want to pray for you. God, once again, will touch your heart and your heart will burn with love for Jesus. So whether it's the first time for you to commit your life to Christ or maybe you're recommitting your life to Christ, would you pray this with me right now? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for going out of the way to reach me. I didn't know I mattered this much to you. I didn't know my sin was so great that Christ would take my sin to the cross that I might be born again. I'm sorry, Lord. And I ask your forgiveness. And I recognize just how much I need you today. So as much as I know how, I ask you, Jesus, come into my life and I commit myself to you completely. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And Pastor Corey is going to come and he's going to tell you about a gift I'd love to send you to 
help you get started in your walk with Christ. He's our youth pastor here at the church, does a great job. You saw him earlier in the live stream today. I want you to welcome him, and he's going to come and tell you how you can you can get this packet of information to help you as you follow the Lord. The rest of you, you could be seated for just a moment longer, please. Thank you, Pastor. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor today and you're here, we have a book we'd be glad to give to you. If you just stop by the booth called The Crossing, just say, hey, can I have that book? We'd be glad to give it to you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer and you crossed that line of faith, just email us at info at woodland.church and give us your information. We'd be glad to send it to you. It's going to help you in your next steps, help you understand a little bit more about what you prayed as well. And so please let us know so that we can be praying for you as well. So um, let us know that you prayed that prayer. At this time, we would just want to say one more time, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.